You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Tech Fan Podcast number 335. I'm Tim Robertson, joined by David Cohen from the other side of the pond. Hello from over here. It's freezing cold here. Uh, You see, Britain's kind of, we we like to moan and we get a bit of snow and the country grinds to a halt, but we're pretty moderate. It doesn't get cold, cold like it gets there here very often. Ugh, uh, and it, normally, if it does, it only for a couple of days. So. Uh, the problem is, we got up to like fifty last Saturday, something yeah. like that. I mean, just really nice day for yeah. for you know January. Um, but now that February is here, the weather has taken a turn for the worse, and it's just it's so cold that your feet hurt. Let me put it that way. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, we do, we just don't have experience with that sort of cold. The the sort of winter we're having here is the ones I really hate, though, where it's it's bright a lot of the time, but it's always wet. Mm-hmm. Everything is always soaking wet, soggy. Yeah. And and you just you kind of just wish for a few few days of dry weather, even if it was cold, so it freeze over, you know. But just so everything just wasn't dripping wet the whole time, but it never does. <laughs> There was a uh, there was a gif or um, just a picture, I guess, on Facebook a few years ago, and it really started making me second guess living in Michigan. It's a little girl holding her mama's hand. It's a cartoon picture. It says, "Mommy, why do we live in a place that makes my face hurt?" <laughs> oh, that's a good point. So, um, not a lot going on in the tech world right now, but we've got some things to cover. Um, and we do have our wiki trolling page set up. Uh, I think this would be a pretty good one to talk about. We're going to talk about 3D yeah. films. So stay tuned for that, obviously, because eh, we've been a little vocal about 3D films in the past. And uh, But we'll get to that. There was an article that you posted from the BBC. And the headline is, Should Phones Be Banned at Gigs? Now, this comes across because of a high-profile comedian, Chris Rock, who I love Chris Rock. He's awesome. Um, He is doing a total blackout tour, which means he is, what, taking, he's confiscating phones, not him personally, but the venue, and locking them up. And then when 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 the event's done, you can get your phone back. So, but yeah, basically, they hand out these. Um, there's a company that does this. They hand out these uh, envelopes, these secure envelopes. You put your device in there, uh, and then then it's locked. And and on the way out, you have to um, queue up, and they they undo the lock and, and let your device out again to stop you getting distracted during the show. Not distracting uh, yourself. Other people distracting you. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? Because, yeah, you don't distract yourself because most people, when they get a phone out and start looking at it, they sink into phone world. You know, yes. they become oblivious of everything around them. You know, I had somebody walk into me the other day in the station who was walking along. You know, it's bad enough when you're, when you're sat down somewhere looking at it with a glary screen and, you know, you're not focused on what's going around you, but, but people walk around like this as well. And yep. yeah, she walked right into me. She had no idea that I was there because she was so absorbed in her phone. Um, 
so obviously for a comedian's gig where the whole point of the performance is to watch and listen to what's being said on stage you really don't want anybody looking at their phone you certainly don't want the noise of somebody taking a call or that thing where people do where they kind of get up and, and walk out because the calls come in yeah or even worse if they don't they sit there on the seat Ugh. Yeah, but you can legally punch those people now. That's a new. Yeah. That's and, a new and law. Then, and then, yeah, in a darkened theater room, a movie theater, or, or a, uh, any sort of theater space, you know, it's very. The, the screens are bright. It's very distracting. Yeah, so you, you get fifty screens between you and what you're watching, and they're all brighter than what you're watching. Exactly. Um, the, there's another element to this as well. Performers. Yes, don't that's like what I was going to go for. Yeah. They don't like video, uh, a video of their act, particularly a comedian who will have a set that they will kind of they'll push around yep. and then towards the end of their tour they'll have it filmed for a DVD or but Netflix the whole point nowadays set is that the jokes are funnier the first time round yeah <laughs> after that they're still funny often but they're not as funny as they are the first time you hear them but so the last thing you want is people taking clips of the material and posting it on YouTube but beyond that just from a performance standpoint and I speak as someone who's been on a stage and been in front of big audiences Nothing's worse. I, I obviously someone like Chris Rock has a different perspective or a broader perspective on this. But what could be worse than sitting there performing as a comedian, telling these jokes, engaging with the audience, and what you see is a sideways Apple logo looking at you because yeah. you can't see their face. You can't even see if you're getting a reaction because you just see the back of their phone. And I, some know, of those I've people in, have the I've little in, light on, and ugh. Yeah, I've been in music concerts where. Uh, people around me have literally watched the entire concert through the five inch screen because they filmed the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, and so effectively they spend half an hour to 40 minutes of a set with their phone up in front of their face, videoing it all. Yeah. But of course then you are not, you're not getting the performance and you know what? I always think people who do that, they want, they want to send a clip to somebody say, look, look, I was here. Look at so take a clip. Yeah. But actually, you're never going to watch that video. Again. Never. You're never going to sit down and say, let's break out that concert I went to last year uh, and sit and watch the 40-minute set again. Nobody does that. Well, you know who's sitting real close to me right now, yes? Uh, I do, yes. Yeah. Ten? Yeah. Yep. You could say it because only I can hear you in the audience. Cool. Yeah. So imagine filming other venues. Mm-hmm. You think I've ever watched those? Yeah. Every one of them is filmed. Yeah. Now, it's not for now. It's for many years down the road, and I realize that. Yeah. You know, when you're nostalgic and you're an empty nester and you're much yeah. older, that's when you want to watch those things. Yeah, or when, when he brings a girlfriend around. Yeah, well, that's yeah, absolutely. The graduation <laughs> party where you have the... Yeah looping thing and the videos are in there mm -hmm. yeah the, um, unfortunately you see that the downside of digital technology is because you can take pretty much within the realms of technology as many videos and photos as you want yep yeah we we kind of get in the habit of film everything shooting everything yeah oh i'll sort it out later you'll find the, the nobody ever does find the golden bits. no but, um, I used to be pretty good on it because I had a Canon GL2, which was a really nice prosumer camera. And I filmed quite a few things. Uh, the older girls is what I'm talking about here. 
Yeah. And and I did make some compilation videos in iMovie or Final Cut Pro and put some you know sound underneath it. I've got one, for instance. Um, I think the newest part of the video was recorded in 2000. And it was at our old house, and it was when we first moved into this house. And Rachel and Brittany were, you know, seven, eight years old, if that. And part of it was recorded, for instance, on New Year's Eve, 1999. Mm -hmm. And I've got Rachel and her little girl voice going, welcome to... So she was born in 94, so she would have been, you know, six years old. Welcome to 1999, or the year 2000, or something like that. And I've got campy, you know, bring a tear to your eye type of music underneath it. That can be done, but I don't think most people nowadays do that. Whereas 15 years ago, I think people were doing stuff like that because the ability to edit digital film was such a new thing and it was exciting. And there was a lot of websites dedicated to it. It was a thing that everybody was doing it. But now I don't think hardly anybody actually edits all the film that they take. They just, they throw it in, in, in photos on the Mac or the equivalent thing on PC, or they put it up on Facebook unedited, um, you know, wrong aspect ratios. And and they just, that's, that's the, that's the video. Now, now here's the thing about wrong aspect ratios. I was just had lunch with a friend of mine, um, who I used to work with, who now works at the BBC. And he said that this is actually a real problem for them wanting to get time kind of system journalism pieces in because so many of the stuff they get is um, filmed in portrait and it's really difficult to use it for broadcast TV. It's filmed in portrait because guess what? The screens are all landscape, you know, um, and, uh, you know, they've been brainstorming whether there's technical or um, social solutions to try and encourage people to film in landscape when they're filming something that might be newsworthy. So uh, take that on board, all of all the yeah. listeners. If you ever think you're going to submit anything to uh, to the news channels, then uh, make sure you turn your screen, turn your phone over. Well, here's the thing: they could. It's a really easy fix, to be honest. It doesn't matter how you hold your phone; it always does it in landscape mode. So if you're holding it in portrait and, and you start recording, you just get the black bars to let you know, no, you're filming in, you know, in, in landscape. It, it, that's yeah, how but, it's going to record. But the, uh, I think the uh, phone manufacturers want people to have the choice of choosing. So yeah, but they, it's, they, it's a terrible no skin off their nose. Yeah, I know. And, and they do it because they figure you're going to watch it back on the phone itself. And if it's in yeah. landscape and blah, 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 but it's just, I hate, I hate portrait mode video. I do it when I'm doing, um, sending little video clips, FaceTime basically, but without actually talking to Rachel, my oldest, because yeah. she's in Chicago. So I'll record a little FaceTime video like I did the other morning, just saying hi and, you know, miss you and that kind of thing. Um, just getting caught up. Yeah. I think, I think for, for video calling, it's perfectly fine to do landscape because let's, uh, to do portrait because let's face it. Our, the aspect ratio of our faces are in portrait mode. Exactly. Um, that's, that's kind of where it comes from. Yeah. So I, I don't have a problem with that. But but obviously for filming something with a wider field of view, it does make more sense to film it landscape. But unfortunately, it's much easier to hold the phone from the bottom and not yep. obscure the lens yep. with the, uh, with the uh, 
by holding it in portrait mode. So that's why people do it. But let's get back to the to the original point here about about locking devices away. Now there was some pushback in the article about people who were grumpy, saying that you know, well, you know, I've got a baby sister at home, and that means the baby sister won't call me. I won't be able to call me because my device will be because uh, the whole point about these these bags is they're effectively they're uh, radio opaque, so your device won't work. It's in there. It's like you put it in airplane mode. Um, oh, you know they won't be able to call me if there's an emergency. Which okay is fine. First of all, the incidences of emergency are pretty low, um, and secondly, before we had cell phones, that was the way that baby you know babysitters had to cope because they couldn't get you exactly. <laughs> Um, so maybe, uh, and, and I say this as a parent, particularly of young children, and, you know, yes, you sometimes do have the back of your mind, you know, how, how are the kids at home with the sitter? But really, I if, I if I'm going out and I have a babysitter and I hope that I've chosen somebody that I can rely on to uh, deal with whatever's going on at home so that myself and my wife can enjoy our evening out without having to you know basically take take a couple of hours off from parenting i think everyone deserves that so i hope that this is a a you know a move that people can see in that sort of more positive light rather than complaining and the consumer has the choice if you know this is this is happening you don't have to go to that show exactly and it's a straw man argument they're just using it because they're pissed off their phone was taken yeah I mean, we've all had that situation where you've you've walked out of the house and you realise you've left your phone and you get an uncomfortable feeling. We all, in fact, my wife said it in front of my uh, my kids the other day and they started giggling. <laughs> she said, "Oh, I've left my phone at home. I feel uh, I feel naked without it." And of course, the kids thought that was hilarious. It, but it's true. We it do. Is. We have become so dependent on these devices that Absolutely. we do feel uncomfortable when we don't have them with us. It, it feels weird. Yeah. But and we two two tech fans saying this. Yeah, you, know? you you have to unplug sometimes. Yeah. You have to, because if you don't, you you just get stuck in this pacifier existence where you have to have your pacifier at hand because if you don't, oh my god. Yeah, you might have to sort somebody. Yeah. Oh god, that's <laughs> that'd be the worst, yeah. wouldn't it? I I, I mean, look, I have caught myself. Um, in that situation where you sat down at, at the dinner table, maybe in a restaurant, something like that, and the conversation lulls, and you kind of go reaching for your phone, and before you know it, everybody around the table is staring at their screen. We, we I yeah. mean, there is, we do love them. Um, those of us who who who've embraced them, I know we have some listeners who do, who don't, but but you know, we do love our phones, and we do love them as a personal distraction device and everything. And and it is it I is like easy my phone. to fall into that. Yeah, I like my yeah, phone. It, it, very easy to fall into that and become the default position. But I think, I think hopefully many of us can have the, the, the self-awareness of that to try and push away from it. And I think this scheme by Chris Rock, I, I, something I'd like to see at more events, to be honest. I do too. I, I agree with this decision. I, and I fully embrace it. If I'm going to go to a concert, the last thing I personally want is to get a phone call or a text or Brooke wants to know if she can, or Cole wants to know if he can have chicken nuggets for dinner. Why? Are, I, I'm at a concert. Why are you asking me this? You're you're babysitting for a reason. Make yeah. the decision. Uh, and the thing that really winds me up, particularly in the movie theater, is people who are texting the whole movie. Oh my god! Um, well, like no. I said, you you legally now you can punch those people in the face. <laughs> right. Okay, that's a statue. Is it? Yeah, it's a tech stand, it's tech fan <laughs> podcast statue. 
It's right. it's on the law books worldwide. You can legally punch someone square in the mouth if they're texting or talking on the phone during a movie. So the strategy I tend to take with this is that, is that um, normally if I see somebody doing it, I, I, if it bothers me, if I, if I can see it in my eye line, I will go and say something to them. Um, something along the lines of, look, you know, if you're going to use your phone, can you take it outside? The advantage in a darkened movie theater is that you can approach them from behind so they won't see you coming. Yeah. Uh, and, and then secondly, by the time they turn around to see you, you're already walking away so they can only see the back of you. Right. And it's dark enough they can't see where you are so they can't wait for you outside to pound you into the ground. Yeah. So- <laughs> what you do is you walk up behind them and you get real close to the ear so they don't know and go, is this distracting? And when they jump out of their seat and turn around and go, now you know what it's like when everyone's sitting behind you right now, jerk off. And then if they start to say anything to argue, that's when you punch them in the mouth. Okay. It just ends the argument right there. Yeah. So shout in the ear. And it's been, and quite honestly, though, it's been a while since I punched someone in the mouth, but I'm kind of looking forward to it, to be honest, a little bit. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm I'm totally. I'm a supporter of this. I get wanting to record stuff. I get it. I like to. Um, but what are you going to do with all that video? Yeah. Seriously. Well, David, if you yeah. are recording that much video, though, you do kind of have to store it somewhere. And I don't trust the cloud. I don't know about you. I just don't. If it's an important video, it's not just going up on the cloud in my iCloud drive or Facebook and hope that I can recover it when I want to see it again. So I always take my videos and put them on my Mac. But if it's just on my Mac and that's it, that's not secure either. So I do have backups. And uh, thanks to our sponsor, <laughs> see how I did there? Uh, I, I knew that's where you were going. Yeah, I know you did. <laughs> I actually have, um, you know, I've, t- I've talked about it in the past, how I do my backup thing. But I do have a permanent hard drive connected. It's a Mercury Elite Pro. Uh, it's a three terabyte drive. When I got that thing, man, three terabytes, it, it literally cost me almost 400 bucks. You can get the same one that I've got for $169 now. It's wow. USB three. It's this well, one port. So it's just, you plug it in, but it's it, the only thing it's there for is to, uh, for data. It, that one actually isn't my backup drive. It's a data drive. It itself gets backed up. But, for instance, all my FileMaker Pro stuff is on there. My entire music library lives on that, not on the SSD inside my hard drive. Um, It lives on that external drive, which is backed up about once a week because, quite honestly, my music library doesn't change that often. If I lost my entire music library, I can go back a week and I'm not missing anything. So what interface do you have on that? USB 3. Right. Well, no, the one I've got is USB 2. Right. Um, Yeah, for data, to be honest with you. USB 2 is fine. Actually, you know what? Enough. It's It's got... You know what? I'm going to... Hold on a second. I think I'm wrong. Uh, yeah, I am. That's actually hooked up to the Firewire 800. So the one I've got is USB 2 with Firewire 800. And I've got one Firewire 800 port on the back of this 21-inch iMac. And that's what's plugged into it. So it's extremely fast. But even for music files, USB 2 would be fine. Yeah, even for video, to be honest. Yep. Provided you're not streaming the video live, USB 2 is okay. Yep. It's fast enough. Uh, and when, back in back in the USB 2 versus FireWire 800 days, you always preferred FireWire because it had much lower – well, it didn't have any overhead on the computer, whereas USB 2 does. Yes. Um, so you always got 
better, more consistent performance over uh, over FireWire than USB. No, I mean, nowadays Thunderbolt would have the same um, enhancement, but frankly, USB three is so fast yeah. that it doesn't really matter if it ties up the processor because it's so quick. Exactly. Um, so that kind of delineation's gone away. But um, so they, you know, what? I always liked FireWire. I always thought it was really cool. Oh yeah, I do. Too. I, it's a yeah. number one. It's a cool name. I still, yeah. I, although Thunderbolt is a really good name too. But FireWire just has this cool connotation to it. I like it. Yeah, because it, it, it has that visual. And thing. it was you imagine, you know, the, the wires heating up from the data. It's it, cool. And it was FireWire, especially the inclusion of FireWire on the very first iMac, that really gave us this video revolution that we've talked about briefly here. And oh, that definitely. It yeah. allowed you to transfer. And remember, this was still on tape. Video video cameras were recording on the a cassette essentially yeah that you would record on your camera plug the camera in launch iMovie hit record play it on the camera and it just records it one to one right into your mac and then you can start editing it and the original of course is on tape so you can do whatever you want with this copy on your mac it's not the original it it was yeah, revolutionary and and FireWire was really the only way that 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 very high bitrate of digital data because these were digital tapes could come out on a line to a computer, and it was a small enough port on the camera that it it didn't take a ton of space. That was important. Yeah, yeah. FireWire was awesome, and you know it it did all these things that we kind of nowadays we take for granted. It did daisy chaining. Um, there was no. There was no problems with termination or anything like that, like the old SCSI days. Right. I, 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 occasionally, you could fry a device with it, but that was the only downside. Yeah. I once, I once had a a twelve inch aluminium power book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember. And, uh, and I plugged it into a Power Mac G four G four, I think it was. Yeah. To transfer data between one and the other using target disk mode, and and it, this was my early Mac days, so. I didn't realize it wasn't a good idea to do that while everything was powered on. No. No. And what happened is I plugged the cable into the side of my power book. Yeah. And and I heard this little. (laughs) 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 This burst of smoke came out of the firewire ports. Appropriate. And funnily enough, the firewire stopped working after that. Yeah. Well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they don't make them like that anymore, do they? Yeah, no. So uh, anyway, your uh, your OWC Mercury Elite Pro drive will not do that. We no, guarantee. it will not do that. Uh, and it's a license. You know, it's funny. They really haven't changed the case. I mean, it's got the new OWC logo on it now, but it's still it's a it's a shiny, bright aluminum case. It looks really good. It feels durable. It looks like, it, it looks like it's styled off the cheese grater Mac. Yeah, it know, kind of is. Yeah. 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 So, but that that's a pretty timeless design. You can get a four terabyte right now with a seven hundred or seventy two hundred RPM drive already installed for one hundred ninety four dollars and seventy five cents. That's a good oh deal. God, cry, it's crazy how much, dude. You can get for a little bit more than what I paid for my three terabyte for four hundred seventy nine dollars for yeah. just the USB three port, which I think is is perfect for almost everybody. Ten terabytes. Four hundred seventy-nine. That's crazy. Yeah. That that's recording every day everything that you see <laughs> on your phone yeah. in four K. That's basically you could, if you could tell Time Machine, mm-hmm. yeah, to just basically don't bother with like snapshots or anything. Like that. Just copy everything everywhere. 
every, every time I change a file, just make a new copy of it over there. <laughs> Did you see the... Uh, I'm kind of addicted to this website that I found called epicfail.com. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I basically what I do with epicfail.com is that I have the RSS feed, yeah, and then I go through them as they come through every day, and then anything that I think uh, Alexander's going to find funny, which is 90% of them, yep. then I star in my RSS reader, and then whenever we're out at a restaurant or something, he'll say to me, said, have you got any new fails for me? Mm-hmm. And then we'll just go through <laughs> watching them one after another, killing ourselves with laughter. His particular favorites are the ones where, you, you know, this, this thing where people uh, like, like alcohol? Yes. And then drink it or something like yeah. that. Those are his, those are his absolute favourites. Um, so yeah, he'll say, "I've got any fails for me?" And we'll be sit there in the corner giggling like schoolgirls. Yep. Yep. And my wife will be going, "You two are so childish." <laughs> there was one that came up that I put in the show notes, and it was a tweet. They took a screenshot, obviously, of this guy's tweet for epic fail. Uh, the guy who posted it is Ryan Peterson. Now there's a big long line and. It's, it's the new Amazon Go stores. And the whole point of the Amazon, there's no cashiers. You walk in, you get what you want, and you leave, right? Yeah. It's kind of a cool concept. But yeah, I found this brilliant. And he says, I'm in Seattle, and there's currently a line to shop at the grocery store whose entire premise is that you won't have to wait in line. Yeah, and it's like, it's like an iPhone launch. I mean, there yeah. are people... Wrap around the corner in the line, yeah. waiting to go and and try the store where you don't have to line up to pay. <laughs> right. You just have to line up to go in. Hmm. Yeah. I think I'll yeah, go to Target it's, instead. Thanks. It's um, the definition of irony, that. Yeah. I just love I That was so great. I had to share it. Um, particularly particularly because it's Seattle where, you know, yes. it's a, kind of a hipster town. Yes. You know? Yes. There's, there is, just looking at the picture probably a disproportionate number of hipster beards going on. Yeah. Can't really now, tell too good, but yeah, you know, there as a are. concept, do you, is that somewhere you'd like to shop? Mm. Cause, cause as, it as simply it, a concept. Yeah. Yeah. It, that would be kind of nice. A, you've got a CCTV the heck out of everybody's in there. Today, yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I, the concept itself is somewhat appealing to me. I don't like technologies that seem to take jobs away, especially middling paying jobs that those people really need those jobs. Yeah. Who's shopping at these stores if no one's working? You know, it's yeah. the same as the self checkout at the grocery store. I'm sure you guys have those now as well. We do, we do and, and I loathe them. I do too, but we go through them. If I've got five items and there's yeah. eight people in the regular line and nobody at the self checkout, I'll go through the self checkout. I still like the interaction with the cashier. I still like, I like knowing that someone's employed at this place, not just the, so, the stockers. So you know how you can stick it to the man with those things? Hmm. Yeah. This is, this is a fun thing to do, right? Is go to the self-checker. They normally have one person who's supervising all the self-checkouts. Right. Yeah. Yep. So um, certainly we can do this in the UK. I don't know whether you can do it in the States. So you, so you go to the self-checkout and then you say to the guy, uh, or girl who's looking after him, you say, I hate these things. Can you put my stuff through for me? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep. 
and and they'll they'll normally do that, and that way you've stuck it to the man. You've because you, you're absolutely right. The, the the one one of the things that, that that I detest in corporate speak, and in my job I, I hear a lot of corporate speak, but I, so I spot it when I hear it on the news and in statements and that sort of thing, is when particular and this particular problem with retail, especially in food retail, yes. where they say we have done X. Um, for the for the benefit of consumer choice or to help our customers or something like that and you go no you have not you have done x because you figured out it saves you some money yep. yeah and self-checkouts are not there for your convenience they're there so they need to have fewer checkout operators which means fewer jobs exactly So the next thing uh, up here that we've got a link to for our show notes is uh, I got to be honest with you, David. This one just came out came out of left field from Nintendo. Yeah. Now there's no question that the Nintendo Switch is just the darling of the video game industry right now. Well, it is. They just just announced it's already outsold the entire run of the Wii U. Yeah, well, that's not surprising. The Wii U yeah. was, it's, it's actually a good system. As we speak, Cole is actually sitting on the couch, not too far away, um, playing on the Wii U. He's probably playing. Are you on the Wii U right now, Cole? Yeah. Playing Zelda? Yeah. Yeah. So he still plays Zelda. So do I, actually. Um, but the Wii U is a brilliant system. I mean, it feels good in your hand, number one. It's engineered great. Um the screen is fantastic. It's got physical controls, but it's still a touch screen. Uh, it's got motion controls. Uh, you know, the, the, the joy cons, the controllers on both sides of the screen actually slide off or snap back into place. Uh, I think, I think it could be pretty strongly argued that this, the switch is basically a redo of the Wii U. It is done, done right. Yep. Oh no, I, yeah. I completely agree with that. So yeah, Nintendo's not, keen on just kind of letting this thing be what it is and just release new games and that's it. So they came up with this idea and it's called Nintendo Labo. This is a strange concept and I think it's a it's a brilliant concept. I also think it's way overpriced because I don't think these things are going to last for long. But yeah. the idea is you purchase these kits and they're made out of cardboard and they have sensors and you it's a flat sheet of cardboard. And you have to fold them to make things like a, a a fishing pole or I don't know what are some of the other things in here. Yeah, uh, they have um, an well, RC um, car. Like, yeah, um, a piano. Uh, there's and then there's a whole kind of the the most crazy thing they've got is like this robot suit. Yes, that you wear, <laughs> that kids wear. Um, the clever thing about this is basically what they've done is they've. Um, that you put your switch into it and then put the joy cons into a different part of it. And then it very cleverly uses the, the, all the different sensors, the joy cons have, right. And motion more, sensor. More than you and, think. Yeah. Oh yeah. Much more, much more than you think to, to basically interact with the cardboard. Yep. Um, so you can have a so motorcycle that, and each handle of the motorcycle you build in the cardboard and it's got the little joy cons inside the cardboard. Yeah. 
And the, the toy piano, for instance, has a full octave of keys. Yep. And as you press them, if the um, on the back of the cardboard, there are things that the optical sensors on the Joy-Con can see, and it allows you to play music. Yep, little sensors. You know, um, the robot kit has, has this crazy backpack where um, um, there are strings attached to the to the... The, the hands and the feet so that as you move it knows how you're moving and it can then display on a head-up display <laughs> a visor a, yeah um yeah what what you're actually doing uh, and allow you to basically do artificial uh, you know augmented reality inside um inside a, a game while you're wearing this suit it's uh, conceptually it's incredibly cool yes and then you look at how it works and you think not only is it cool it's actually incredibly clever and so you have to put this together this is that that to me that's the amazing thing your kids put this together you build it yourself and and to me yeah it's it's i think it's it's conceptually brilliant it's end from an engineering point of view it's brilliant it uses this system in a way that 98 99 percent of people would never even dawn on them to do anything like this let alone make it work but yeah then the downside is that you look it's at expensive. It you think, oh god, that's really cool. And you go to order it. cardboard. It must not be very expensive, and it's really quite expensive. It's expensive, and it's not going to last. It's just not. Right. If if you've got your ten year old, if Cole builds one of these motorcycle things for as a for instance, and he is playing with it, it's not going to last more than a couple of weeks. It's just yeah. not. It's cardboard. Cardboard is. By its very nature, um, temporary. It's, you know, one, anything gets spilled on it, it's ruined. Well, yeah, not only that, the more cardboard, I mean, cardboard doesn't stand up to repeated use. Exactly. So, you know, any of us who, and, and many of us did it as kids who built their own cardboard box for, so, I mean, my kids did this. You know what? Some of the happiest memories some my kids have is being given a big empty cardboard oh, box yes, and absolutely. a set of felt-tip pens. Yep. And that thing was, you know, it was it's a like, spaceship, it's, like it's a, a castle, pool. it's a car, they could make whatever they wanted yep. with it. Yeah, and and they would spend hours decorating it, putting things on it, and then playing with it. Yeah. But you knew that the box was only going to last about a week because the more kids are climbing in and out of it and moving it and that sort of thing, the more frayed and and structural integrity goes and away. Becomes, and... And eventually, it becomes unusable. Yep. So that's my problem with it. I think the concept is. Quite honestly, brilliant. I think the cost is too much. I think they need to be no more than ten bucks each. Yeah. Um, Whereas the first ones are what seventy, eighty. The robots eighty. Yeah. Uh, well, there's a variety pack the, you get for the seventy bucks. Variety kit has got two or three of these things and it's seventy dollars. Yeah, that's a lot. I think it's asking way too much for what it is. But now, as a it, as a that, proof of concept, price, I think it's brilliant. That, that price would be okay if once having bought it, you could reorder the cardboard pieces for shipping. Yes. Yeah. I'd agree with that. But, um, you know, maybe with a coat, maybe tie it to your, to your switch. I mean, they've got DRM up the wazoo in the switch. So maybe you could tie it to your switch. So only, you know, barcoded bits of cardboard that, that sent you would work with your version of the software. Um, so that, you know, stop somebody just reordering and reselling them on eBay. But, um, to me, that would be the better way of doing it because yes, these are not going to last. And, it's tough. It's tough to say. All right, here I'm going to spend seventy dollars on a present for my kid, um, and then two, three weeks later, it's like, well, that doesn't work anymore. It's brilliant from a, a business standpoint from Nintendo side, though. Oh yeah, I mean it. it 
What's some so, color? I mean, this sort of painted thing is, is cardboard costume. Yeah, this, this. I mean, really. I mean, what I'd love to do is is see see them do something like Lego Mindstorms, where effectively they have APIs and right. and a way of you you doing your own stuff with this. Well, I, yeah, and I that, think that that could be a thing. I think there could be an entire industry, yeah. but it can't be just controlled by Nintendo. They've got to open that up to third parties. Of course, Nintendo's whole quality control thing. I think they'd have an issue with that because you know there'd be just junky ones out there. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, but, cool concept. Uh, yeah, it is. We live in fascinating times. I say when I see stuff like this. John Gruber pointed yeah. to uh, this MacWorld article that I completely missed because who the hell goes to MacWorld anymore? <laughs> um, well, not only that, go to MacWorld, you get besieged by the flipping ads. It's it's awful on there now. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. I'm running the uh, U block, so I don't I don't see any of them. Um, you know. <sighs> When Apple first unveiled the HomePod, I really wasn't all that interested, to be honest. Yep. Um, Apple doesn't have a great track record when it comes to these types of devices. But I thought, well, you know, if they really go the high-end quality on this, ostensibly a speaker, this could be pretty good. But, of course, Apple being Apple, they make this, the HomePod's biggest problem isn't Siri, and this is the title from the macro article is that it's too much like the original iPod. And I have to agree with the writer here, Michael Simon, in that this, the home pod only works in Apple's ecosystem. And I think yeah. that's a huge miss. Gigantic. Effectively, you need to set it up and, and use it. You need to be using Apple services, but more importantly, to get it going, you need uh, an iPad or an iPhone. And then worse than that, it's really designed to work with their music subscription service. That's really what it's for. Yeah, I, look, I mean, you can, if you can AirPlay off a device, even if it's a non-Apple device, and you can AirPlay off a, off a Google phone or something if you want to, um, there is software to do that, then you can stream whatever you've got on the phone to it, or you could stream off Spotify or... Um, um, Google Music or whatever, I guess, if you wanted to. But right. then, effectively, the HomePod is a just a, a, a high-end speaker. It's, you don't get any of the smart functions. Now, some people are saying, yeah, but that, you didn't complain about the Apple Watch. You can't use an Android with your Apple Watch. But that, that was an implicit thing that you have to have. an. Uh, it's just an ex the Apple Watch right now is an extension of your iPhone. It really is. That's what it's designed to do. It 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 increases the the functionality of your iPhone. If you think of the Apple Watch in that regard, it's brilliant. It replaces it in some respects, especially with the cell one, but it, it is what it is. This is different. This is a speaker. I mean, that's what people think of they're getting, a, 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 an Alexa type of Apple device. Oh, hold on a minute, though. I can only use it with Apple devices? I think it's I think it's going to be a, a colossal failure. I got to be honest with you. I don't think they'll be well, selling this in three years. I don't years. think it's going to live or die on that feature alone. Um, well, the iPod did. Been, the iPod would have died if they didn't add Windows compatibility. I agree, but they sold the iPod initially as a Mac only product, mm -hmm. and then they brought Windows compatibility later on. There is no, you know, this thing is not set in stone to start with. They could easily add extra functionality via software update at a later date including more services and more compatibility. We also don't know whether 
perhaps in inside uh, Apple, they're working on an update to their um, Google Play software for Apple Music that will add compatibility with the HomePod, and it just isn't there yet. I think there's this a couple is... of things I think here. I think uh, if you look at the way the HomePod's being marketed, it's very much, you know, they, they barely even mention it has a smart functions. It's all about music, music, music. Right, exactly. So it's being sold principally, I think they are, with the first release, they are aiming at, at audiophiles who want, um, you know, a smart, neat-looking, well-designed, good-sounding. And by, by all accounts from the reviews I've read so far, it does sound very, very good. Um, th- so they're, they're aiming at people who want a nice, high-quality, premium-sounding uh, music speaker that works with their Apple devices. Right. So I think they're pitching it at that market. I think that they're obviously these decisions are made consciously by Apple. I but they're not pitching it that I don't, way. I don't think that they want this to be a mass market product right now. I think they are – this is very much a test the water type product, and they will develop it based on how it, how it does. It could well die. It's very expensive, though I would say it's cheaper than the equivalent Google device. Um, or the Sonos One. Than, it's more expensive than the Amazon devices, but then by all accounts it sounds much, much better than the Amazon devices. So it just – you know, it, it will appeal – to a certain group of people who have a high disposable income and want a nice sounding, nice looking speaker. Um, I don't think that is a particularly huge market, but no. I suspect that Apple knows that. Um, it's clearly been a product that they are struggling to bring to market with all the features that they wanted. AirPlay 2 isn't there yet, which is what allows you to do stereo music over two of these yep. um, at $700. Um, you know, this is this is very much, and I think this is a niche play, and, and I think it's got the functionality to match a niche play. If you are struggling to deliver features, why would you, and you're not expecting to sell a lot of them, why would you spend engineering effort supporting devices who... You know, with the best will in the world, I think there's very, very few people out there who, who are, you know, with a, with a Google phone, um, an Android phone, are going to go out and buy a non-Android um, speaker. I so think. Why would you engineer for that um, when you know when also when Google has a has a competing product? I think it, Apple has pigeonholed this product to the point that it almost guarantees never to be nothing but a tiny little niche product that most people will never even desire um that that could well be the yeah. case uh, i mean who knows what goes on around the corporate tables at apple it could well be that when this thing came out so late yeah and it, let's face it they are so late to this market oh yeah that they skewed away from making the series smart maker thing into the high premium audio because they internally they thought to themselves you know what We've lost this to Amazon and Google already, yeah. so there's no point trying to compete on a level playing field. Let's let's do what we can with the engineering we've done um, and produce a niche product. Maybe this is a deliberate play by them. I I do agree with you. I it's think it's a confusing one. It makes no sense to me. Well, I think in this iteration, it's not it's not going to be a big money spinner. You will not see this in the uh, the quarterly results from this no. time next year showing a big blip on them, no, on them at all. I completely won't. agree with you with that. But um, we'll see how it develops. I mean, Apple TV did not start well. Um, you could argue today it's, it's nowhere near as good as it should be. But, um, well, it's, it's a niche a product. Than, it's a lot better than it started at. And they kind of – Apple TV was a tentative product like this at the start. But I would argue that Apple TV is almost a failure at this point. I don't know anybody yeah. who uses one. I have them. I, I never use them. I get the, exactly the same functionality out of my smart TVs than I ever get with my Apple TV. 
Yeah, I, I so you remember that I won the Apple TV at, at um, yeah. Las Vegas last year. So I hooked it up over Christmas, um, and we we took an Amazon Fire TV stick off the TV it's connected to and replaced it with the Apple TV. I have to say, I find the the voice search that it does fantastic. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that for all the different apps I've got on there, I can just basically speak into them into Siri and say, "Find me this program," and it will then present me with all the options where it comes from. I think that works really well. I, I, the current version of the interface, I like quite a lot. Um, but then there's a lot of functions on there that I just don't use. I don't really play games on it, um, you know, because the games that are on there are games I already have on my iPad. So um, it doesn't appeal to me to play them on the big screen. It's just um, another box that you got to plug into your TV. And if yeah. you have a smart TV, on all of them, if it doesn't come with Plex, you can download Plex to your TV and run free Plex TV, uh, software on your, your Mac or PC or pretty much any other device out there, and you've got access to all your content. Um, yeah. And the, then- the issue the Apple TV has is, again, by the time it got to where the current iteration, the market had already moved to the know, next $30, thing. $40 streaming sticks exactly. like the Amazon Fire TV. Exactly. And the current version of the Amazon Fire TV stick does pretty much everything that the um, – that the Apple TV does. It yep. even has the voice control, um, and yet it's much, much cheaper. So I like my Apple TV, but I wouldn't have gone out and bought one. Exactly, <laughs> so, and that's yeah, telling. I, that I think that, that's yeah. that's very telling. Let's jump over to our Wikipedia um, wiki trolling this week, and it's 3D films, as we said at the beginning. You know, David, uh, I know a lot of people probably think that 3D films is kind of a, a recent fad, going back to maybe the 80s. Well, that's not true. Uh, 3D films have existed in some form since 1950, according to, or 1915, according to Wikipedia, but has been largely regulated to a niche in the motion, motion picture industry because of the costly hardware and process required to produce and display 3D film. And there was no standardization either. That's, that's a kind of a big deal. Yeah. If you're going to film and present something in 3D and, you know, 95% of the theaters don't have that same equipment, where you're kind of screwed. So they, well, they really pigeonhole the production. It. Yeah. You know, one of the biggest costs of, of movie production is actually film stock. Yes. Uh, and camera rentals and lens rentals. And all of that is doubled when you're shooting in 3D. Yeah. Because you need to, to get the stereoscopic effect, you need to have two cameras next to each other. Yep. Um, and so 3D that was for a long time was relegated to being a gimmick because of that problem. You would get 3D sections in a movie, but large chunks of it weren't 3D, and you actually were advised to put your glasses on at different times. I just remember wasn't one of the Jaws movies had a had a 3D. There was a 3D version of one of them, and it was like that. You, it, it wasn't in 3D the whole way through. Yeah. They were just too cheap. So there was just some special effect sequences where, you know, they said, "Put on your 3D glasses now," and it was, you know, and those, those are the bits you would, know where you got the the jump scares. And yeah, that sort of thing. and it would take you out of the the movie process of yeah of losing yourself and enjoying something that oh now I got to put these stupid glasses on. Where did I put them? Oh, I tucked them down here somewhere. Oh, well, I've missed a bit now. Um, I think this says something about it. 3D films were prominently featured in the 1950s in American cinema and later experienced a worldwide resurgence in the 80s and 90s driven by IMAX high-end theaters and Disney-themed venues. 3D films became more and more successful throughout the 2000s, cultivating, right there, cultivating, in the unprecedented success of 3D presentations of Avatar, 
in December 2009 and January 2010. We're so in 2018, yeah. and that was the height. Yeah, so Avatar ago. was particularly special because it was filmed in 3D. Yep. Um, but it had the advantage that last large chunks of the movie were actually completely CG. And so it was much easier to get a 3D effect in those sections um, than it was in the live action sections. Though James Cameron, you know, the, the nature of who he is, he, you know, I think I'm pretty sure he invented his own 3D camera for filming Avatar. Um, so, so the whole presentation was in 3D. And what Avatar had going for it as well is because it had been designed from the ground up to be shown in 3D, they color balanced it and they brightened the picture to make sure that you didn't have that loss that you get through, um, you know, if you go to a regular 3D movie now and you wear the glasses, they're, they're um, optical polarizing glasses. That makes the screen dim. So you then have to brighten the screen to compensate for that. Um, and so Cameron was able to do that when he shot and edited the movie. Um, and the other thing as well is, yeah, he, he went for pushed very hard for IMAX presentation where where possible, where the increased resolution, increased screen size compensates for some of the limitations of 3D. But, uh, you know, Avatar was when we, after that was when we got the rush of 3D movies as the studios tried to cash in. Um, and also it was the rise of post-process 3D where basically they used computers to take ordinary film and make it 3D. Right. And I don't think those have still, you, you, you could feel it. Your your brain doesn't completely buy in because it does feel artificial. Well, it, because it is artificial. Exactly. Because basically, what they do is they use computer grading to create strips of film at different artificial depth points. But the point is, the things you're watching themselves are flat. It's kind of like the old. Um, you remember those old stereoscope three three uh, D Viewmaster things you used to get the red things with a handle on the side. Yeah, absolutely. You put a disc in, and you would see pictures of um, animals and and landmarks and stuff like that. And those were the same thing. They weren't really three D. They just had used some separation techniques to actually composite different pictures together to give you a three D effect. Computer three D processing is exactly the same. So you might be looking at things that have a have a perceptual depth, um, with, but the thing the each layer is flat. So the person you're looking at is at the front of the screen versus the person in the back. They themselves are are a flat projection in the, in a 3D space. They are not actually so you don't get the same depth illusion. Right. Um, and the problem as well is because that is a effectively an artistically driven process. Some guys are better at it than others, and some studios are better at it than others. And so you can get a good 3D conversion and a bad one, uh, normally depending on how much money the studio has has spent on getting the work done. You know, you know, part of the big resurgence, I think, lately, in this decade anyways, for 3D, was more or less the, the movie industry trying to shoehorn more people into the theaters again. And instead of creating great content, they wanted to go the gimmick route. And I understand that from a business perspective. Hey, we can charge more and more people are going to come see it for the spectacle. But it doesn't make up for the lack of originality or good storytelling. Now, I personally think we're in a huge resurgence of pop culture movies that people are going to watch the movies because of the stories and not because of, uh, you know, oh, it's it's an event because it's in th- 3D. 
you and I spent a couple years ago, towards the beginning of Tech Fan, to be honest, railing against 3D. We hated it. We kept talking about this. You know, I don't, I don't want to see it in 3D. Just give me a regular movie. It's stupid. I mean, we were we both kind of attacked the whole 3D as a gimmick. And I think I'm still there. I, I, I don't like... Look, if you give someone a choice, that's fine. But it didn't feel like a choice. It felt like a gimmick. And I think that's the problem. It's still uh, yeah, just I, gimmick. I, I don't think it was even a gimmick. I think the, the, the marketing and the movie industry, yeah, they marketed 3D after avatar as yeah. as a premium experience they implied that you know yeah you can go and see it in the regular regular version but you really want to go see the 3d version to get the best of the movie right and and that is just not true that is actually that is a marketing puff yep in fact because of the things i talked about 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 um the dimness of the film you lose a bit of resolution as well yep. with 3d um You've got to wear the glasses, which some people find uncomfortable. Um, all of those things, I would say that a 3D showing is actually a worse presentation than regular. I agree. Unless it's unless it's been unless that avatar has been specifically designed to be in 3D, and yet they and yet that's an upsell. They're trying to get you to pay more for the tickets. They have a I don't know what it's like in the states, but here, what all the movie theaters do now is they will uh, they will not give you 3D glasses when you go and see a 3D movie. You are expected to buy them. Yep. So, you, you know, and, and the, I remember the first time this happened to me. I, we, I forget what movie it was. We went to see it. And normally, nowadays, the only time I go and see a 3D version of a film is if the timing of the showing that I want in 2D is not available. And, um, I, you know, I'm on a particular schedule. That means that's the only time I've got to see it. Then I'll, and, and so, you know, if I've only got between three and five to see a movie, yeah, and the 2D, 2D ones only starts at 2.30, then I'll go and see the three o'clock version. Yeah, I'll pay a little bit more. The first time this happened to me, they said, right, okay, uh, do you want to buy some glasses? I said, what, what do you mean? I said, I said, how can I go and see the film without the glasses? No, if you haven't got any, then you have to buy them. So I said, well, why? <laughs> I'm going to see this movie. Why won't you give me the glasses? No, you buy them, and then you can keep them for the next time you come. Oh, yeah, because I, I want more junk. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and because, because, of course, that's the scam of it, isn't it? Sure. Because the next time you go, you go and decide 3D. Okay, I, let me go and, and check my bag of stuff where I carry my 3D glasses with me. Exactly. Yeah. So you end up buying them again and again. And again, it's just it's just the whole thing comes across as a very cynical money grab. Oh, it, I don't think it comes across that way. It is that way. That is what it is. So, yeah, I, I, I think there's a place for that. Um, you know, stuff like, uh, uh, what is that? The, the mother earth series stuff, um, no, planet, earth. planet earth. Now see yeah. something like that in 3d. Awesome. You know, you get that in 4k and 3d and it was designed to be experienced that way. I'm all for that. Because that's what that yeah. is, and it's so, at course, home. The, the, and the BBC Wildlife Unit, who shoots that series, shoots those series. They also did Blue Planet. Don't shoot in three D. Yeah, of course because not. The, the, because you know it's challenging sure. enough getting cameras into those environments in the first place without worrying about three D rigs. Well, and but that technology will come. I mean, it, yeah. it's going to get small. I mean, just look at a GoPro. I mean, you can make a three D camera GoPro size, and it probably work. Um, yeah. So in that situation, fine. At a Disney theme park, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, a 3D roller coaster at, at you know the mall where you 
sit in a little box and you put on the glasses and, oh, it feels like you're actually on and the whole thing moves. Fine. That's great. I, I'm off for that. In the cinema, it sucks. I think it's a terrible experience. I think most people, they like a few aspects of it, but just the pain in the butt aspects far outweigh it. And yeah. I'm glad that the 3D thing is, it's not gone completely yet, but it's it's becoming a footnote. Yeah, it's definitely not as prevalent as it was the first, you know, four or five years after Avatar, where right. basically it was shoved down our throats. Yep. Um, now most presentations they have, you know, a, at least a fifty-fifty mix between three D and non-three D. I saw again. I saw the the Last Jedi in three D because that was the only showing available in the time we wanted to see it. Um, it was okay. I mean, technology has improved. It's not as bad as it used to be. I don't think it really added very much to the experience, to be honest, over um, seeing, it, seeing it in the standard presentation. Uh, and I certainly, wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't go over, go out of my way to, uh, to go and see a 3D thing. But it, I imagine it will improve. I, what it, like all things, it's like all novelties in, in cinema. You know, CGI was another one where for years it was so intrusive because it was so obvious this is where we spent the money. This exactly. is the CG bit. Yeah. Now CG just blends into the background. The best CG is when you don't even know it's there. 3D needs to be like that as well. Ideally, to the point where you, you don't even need hardware to watch it. But um, certainly it needs to drop to the point where it doesn't become the focus of the presentation. And I certainly, you know, I really don't want to be paying more for it. I am with you 100%. So with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of Tech Fan. Of course, Donnie Yankelo and I are still looking for your ideas of the first person to do X. Uh, we did get some, so I, I got a couple. One, yeah. yeah, one or two, yeah. Um, so thank you for those. Uh, obviously, we're looking for feedback. Give us your thoughts on what we're talking about here. The show at techfanpodcast.com. You can go to uh, techfanpodcast.com or mymac.com and leave a comment there. We'd really appreciate it if you go into iTunes and give us a review. That'd be awesome. We do appreciate that. Um, David, are you good next week, too? Or uh, Yeah, I believe I am, yes. Awesome. The week of the 20th. Um, we're going to have to do it a different day because that's going to be on the 20th of February is Julie and I's 15th wedding anniversary. So we're going to go out wow. that night and have a real nice dinner. And uh, Grandpa gets to watch the kids for a couple hours. Looking forward to that. 15 years. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, um, it'll be... Oh, I hope Leanne's not listening because I don't have the number straight to my head. <laughs> what year are we? Um, We're so guys. Nine, we, we suck at those it, things. It's just, we've, just had our, we've just had our 18th wedding anniversary. There you so go. It'll be 19 years That's at awesome. the end of this year. Yep. Yeah, so. We've been together so, 20, but we've been married 15. Yeah. So with that, we're going to uh, wrap this episode up. David, I'll see you next week. See you then.